Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Business Vibes. This week, we have Johnny DeRocher with us as our guest, and we discuss his life, leadership, and the business environment. We're going to jump right into this one because we had started talking prior to us uh, kicking off this podcast. And so if you want to listen to that, stay tuned at the end, and you'll be able to hear our conversation pretty much covering golf and just things in life in general. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Yeah. Oh, wow. I started earlier, so Oh, okay. Good. That's cool. Yeah. I guess we're going. We've been going in for about 10 minutes now. Well, why don't we talk? Ask Johnny. Let's well, let's, Johnny, introduce yourself. Introduce myself? I thought yeah. that was your job. This is always the most difficult question to answer. <laughs> introduce, introduce yourself. That way everybody knows who's, yeah. who we got here. Are we live right now? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, so, my name is Johnny DeRocher. Uh, currently, I'm a firefighter, and I do mortgages, and kind of dabble in some football, and I love playing golf. Heard about that already. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm from, I'm from here. I grew up in Spanaway. Went to Bethel High School. Uh, went to University of Washington. Played football there. Played some baseball there. Got drafted by the Seattle Mariners. Uh, got hurt, so I gave that up, and uh, spent... About four or five years coaching football. I was at University of Washington, UCLA, Central Washington, coaching high schools around here. Then I got married. That dream oh, died. Dream killer. That, that dream, dream died. Killer. <laughs> uh, then I, I got two daughters, and yeah, that's so it, you, really. So let's not. You're just kind of glossing over that. Let's talk about you playing football and baseball and in college. It's not really so. It's um, pretty impressive being a Division One athlete, though. I mean, yeah, I I grew up. Uh, I I'm probably I don't want to throw out any crazy, you know, claims or anything, but I'm probably <laughs> one of the last people um, that really grew up playing three sports. Um, I played three sports uh, my sophomore year of high school. I played. I was on the football team, basketball and baseball and I played varsity on all three and then I stopped playing baseball my sophomore or after my sophomore year and so then I was just strictly football and basketball and actually I thought I thought about giving up basketball and then thank god like I got talked out of that because that was that would have been a huge mistake um but so my, I played football and basketball my last two years, but I was primarily a football guy, right? Like, so I would still play, but I had a great opportunity because the two coaches, my football coach and my basketball coach, really, they did a, they did a really good job. They understand that they understood the concept of sharing athletes in a high school, <laughs> which I don't think happens a lot anymore. I think people maybe talk about it, but I don't think they put it into practice. Um, so my summers were basically, uh, primarily football I would do all the football camps and stuff like that and then when I would have time off from football then it was basketball which is another issue I I, I have when you listen to kids talk oh I need I I need time off or I need you know to specialize like no you don't like you could nothing could be further from the truth right like you're 17 years old your summer's supposed to be busy you don't need to sit at home and you know not do anything so um I did that. Um, we were we were really good. I was at Bethel High School. We were really good. Played in the state tournament every year for football, state tournament every year for basketball. And then I graduated high school early. And a little thing that I kind of just gloss over in my career is I, I went to University of Oregon first. 
and I was there for 18 months, and I transferred back to Washington. But uh, in my junior season, I was in a game, and I got a really bad concussion, and I was knocked out on the field. And this is how this is how illustrious my college football career is. My my the thing that I'm most proud of is uh, when that happened. Uh, I walked off the field, <laughs> yeah. so that's like the most exciting thing or the thing I'm most proud of. Um, but I was pretty out of it. Luckily, being at UW, uh, you know, they just take you across the street to the hospital, and they said, uh, "Hey, we're gonna keep you here for a little bit. Looks like you got some bleeding in your brain." Luckily, my parents were there, um, so you know, like parents were freaking out, and mom was freaking out, and then they kind of they brought in another neurologist and was like, "No, you know, it's something else." So they sent me home. Uh, they scheduled another appointment for me on like Tuesday of that week. Um, it was the Apple Cup. It was Apple Cup week, and so Tuesday I met with a uh, had another CT scan. Thursday of that week they found that I had a benign brain tumor. Oh my gosh! And uh, so I had already been kind of toying with the idea of playing baseball because, like, we weren't very good when I was there, right? Like, we were not a good football team. And so we brought in Jake Locker uh, that, that year, you know, so I kind of could tell the writing was on the wall, like I wasn't going to play. And I had some friends, you know, that you party with and stuff. They're like, hey, man, play baseball, because we all kind of grew up when we were younger playing baseball. And so I spent that summer uh, kind of playing, playing a little bit of baseball in, during the summer. And uh, So the doctor basically gave me three options. He said, hey, we can sit here and monitor this thing and see what happens. Uh, we can give you radiation and, uh, you know, try to shrink the tumor or we can cut it out. And I'm sitting there with my parents and I'm like, I think we need to cut this thing out, man. Baseball season starts in January, <laughs> you know, and this was November. And uh, so he's like, OK. So two weeks later, they scheduled me for brain surgery. It is November 30th. Um, I was in the hospital three days, hated every minute of it. And so uh, the night, the second night I was in there, I asked the doctor, I'm like, what do I got to do? Um, to go home and he's like well you gotta you know do, like make a cup of coffee and cook an egg you know they wanted to make sure if I was home I wouldn't burn the house down or something <laughs> so I'm like alright so uh, next day gets up <clears throat> got up made my stuff and we went home uh, recovery took about two weeks um, wow that's uh... I'd walk around the. my parents have 10 acres out in Roy and so I'd get up and, and I hate walking like I'm not a hiker I'm not a walker I don't walk for exercise <laughs> And I'd go and I'd walk around the block and I'd come back, take a nap. Two weeks later, I was playing catch. Jeez. And uh, it kind of funny deal is I walked in the baseball coach's office and he, you know, knew who I was and stuff like that. I said, hey, man, I want to play baseball. He's like, all right, you know, it doesn't cost him anything. I was already on football scholarship, you know. He's like, uh, did you play? I'm like, yeah, man, of course. I pitched in high school, you know, through about 90. He's like, okay. Obviously, that was a lie. Never touched 90 in high school. Never pitched, never threw 90 in high school. And uh, so he's like, all right, come out. And so I, I walked on, and um, I was absolutely brutal. I was terrible. I think the first time I got on the mound, I threw like 82, throwing a football and baseball. Totally different. At the time, I thought they were different at the time. Now, after having done both, they're actually very similar. That's why, like, mm -hmm. I tell guys, like, you want to build arm strength, go th throw a baseball around. Yeah. Um, but I was terrible. My arm hurt. I was I was always, it was it was just bad. But I lucked out and I got the flu. 
I got the flu in like February and I was like gone for like a week. And uh, when I came back, he's like, oh, I didn't even think you were going to come. <laughs> he's like, I didn't even think you were going to come back. And uh, I showed up. My arm felt great. And all of a sudden, you know, things just kind of started clicking. And so uh, I, uh, I didn't pitch a whole lot. I only threw six innings that year. But I threw in a, in a midweek game. So in college, you basically play the, the big series over the weekend, you know, the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then they usually have one or two midweek games where the younger guys can play or the guys can just play just to keep playing. And I had pitched the week before we were getting blown out against UC Irvine. And so they put me in like my first game ever. <laughs> and I threw, I had the anteaters. <laughs> I, yeah. And I had a, and I mean, they were good. I think we we're losing like 11 to three. Oh yeah. So they're like, go get warm. And I'm like, well, I don't even know exactly how to do this. <laughs> and, uh, so I went out there and, uh, I don't know, I maybe gave up a run or whatever, but I th- actually threw pretty well. And when I was at Washington on the baseball team, we had some dudes that were like pro prospects, I don't, like Nick Hagedon, who mm-hmm. played like seven, eight years in the big leagues. He was on the team, so we always had scouts. Yeah. And uh, so I totally oblivious. I just went out there and threw. And uh, then the next week, they needed a, a midweek starter. And, I, and I'm like, hey, I'll do it. Like, you know, I don't care. Well, it got out that I was going to start this game. And so nobody goes, no one goes to midweek games, yeah. right? Like, I think my parents were on, like, vacation <laughs> or something. Nobody's on. You know, like, my, my grandparents came. You know, it was, like, my grandparents <laughs> and, like, a bunch of scouts. And this is funny, man. I had, like, a 45-minute first inning. I threw like 60 pitches. Are you 45 <laughs> yeah, minutes? Yeah, it was forever. The left fielder sat down. Uh, and so about halfway through, the pitching coach comes out. He's like, hey, man, uh, how you feeling? And I'm just jacked out of my mind. I'm like, dude, I'm so – I'm just I'm, I'm just high right now, dude. And he's like, yeah. Uh, I'm like, am I throwing hard? He's like, yeah, you're throwing real hard. Can we throw some strikes? <laughs> you know? So I, got, I eventually got out of that. Uh, that inning, and I was done. Obviously, <laughs> didn't really do my job in, shape, in saving the pitching staff. Uh, but uh, uh, so then, you know, I was kind of on some guys' radar. I hit ninety a couple times in that outing, and so I was on some guys' radars. And uh, I needed one class. I needed to finish school right to graduate. And uh, I was kind of talking to a bunch of scouts and <clears throat> stuff, and. One guy's like, yeah, man, like, we love drafting football players, you know. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I do too, you know. I'm like, you should. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, he's like, I'm thinking we might get you between the 8th and 10th round. I don't even know what that means. Like, football, there's 7. I'm like, there's 8, there's 10 rounds? Like, this is awesome. Yeah, put me in, coach. So I, I, I look at my phone, and I'm like, man, again, the 10th round made like $176,000. <laughs> it's the best decision I've ever made. Yeah. Well, I got drafted in the 32nd round. <laughs> and... I remember, like, when the draft came, the first I was at my parents' house because I was done with school. And I remember I was, like, at my parents' house, and first round comes and goes and uh, didn't get drafted. I'm like, well, so much for the 10th round, you know. So I kind of gave up on the whole deal. I didn't realize there was, like, another 25 rounds right, the next yeah. day. And uh, so I was out doing stuff on my parents' tractor or whatever, and I get a call, and he's like, hey, this is so-and-so from the Seattle Mariners. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> He's like, hey, we we'd like to, we want to, we want to, we draft you in the thirty second round and blah blah blah. I'm like, all right. And he's like, 
uh, we're gonna, uh, you know, offer you twenty five hundred bucks. <laughs> and I go because I, I had kind of like been talking with an an advisor, you know, at the time. And I'm like, hey, well, that's cool. Like, let me talk with my advisor. So I call this guy up, and he had like legit clients, you know, and like first rounders in the draft. And I'm like, hey, man, they're only saying they're gonna give me twenty five hundred bucks. And he's like, yeah, dude, that's what you're gonna get. So I'm like, all right. So I probably should have worked a little harder in school that last quarter. Oh my god! Uh, so I got drafted. I signed. I went down to the Arizona League. Um, was there for uh, the whole season. We won the the Arizona League championship. You know, I was like 23. You know, and all the guys you're playing with are like 17 year old and 18 yeah, year old. Oh you know, Latin grandpa. Latin guys. And so I'm like, oh hey, we won. We're gonna go with some beers. No man, like we were like pops in the in the clubhouse like, i'm like man, what the hell this is like so shaking up the soda exactly and then because i threw well enough uh during there's only they moved me up to make a spot start in wisconsin and so i went up there and it was the same thing and like i threw like 40 pitches in the first inning and whatever and then i'm you know then like you know like i'm quitting i'm done like i suck you know my dad talked to me like you got to go back and so i went to instructs through really well in instructs and then i got hurt in instructs uh hurt my elbow so i rehabbed uh i rehabbed in seattle and uh spring training came and i moved down there early and i was in extended spring training and um i was in extended spring training which is basically like everyone breaks in April and you stick around for another six weeks in Arizona, which was brutal for me, man. Like, you know, you're broke, you make absolutely no money. I remember I was giving a talk and I was telling these kids that, you know, that I, I, I got introduced as, oh, he pitched for the Mariners. They're like, how much money did you make? And you're like, 900 bucks a month. <laughs> you're like, what? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not what you think, yeah. you know? And so, I, uh, yeah, like I just started drinking a ton and hanging out down there and pitching, and then I got hurt again, and then basically uh, in August of that year, I, I retired. That's the cool thing about minor league. Like, no one quits, right? You're retired. Yeah. So, right. I was like a 24-year-old retiree. <laughs> it's just like the same thing if you uh, work for a major investment bank. You know, you don't get fired. You get invited. To yeah, <laughs> invited to leave. I like that. You're they kind of invited me to leave. Actually, they just told me like you're done. Yeah, you're, you're getting invited to leave. And then that year, I I went. I got on staff at UW. Back on the football staff, I was a, a offensive analyst, and I finished up my degree. And then I wanted to coach. So then I did that whole deal. So with all this, this is I, I love stories like that because I think part of the evolution of um, you know being athletics or anything that you do, you know you you have to sacrifice, you have to grind, you have to uh, uh, do what you need to do, and you and you do it because you have an ability to do these uh, amazing and wonderful things. Now th with that skill set, with that with that mindset of competing and all that you got yourself in the you know you went into business and you you know working in the business world did you, can you explain to us how that experience as an athlete correlates with grinding it out in the business world where oh my god i gotta make some phone calls or and yeah. oh, i'm not getting that sales or <clears throat> i gotta close a deal well it's so i think and i'm a, I'm a obviously i'm a huge advocate for sports like i think every kid should have to play sports, especially a team sport. Mm -hmm. 
because that it it teaches you that because you're gonna fail and you know now that I'm older it's always like you know man if I, if I knew now what I knew then you know what I mean like that's like it's such a such a right on statement because you know especially if you're lucky enough to play college athletics it is essentially a full-time job like if you talk about playing college football you are working 12 months a year for essentially 11 days you know what i mean right like yeah. you're in the weight room at 5 30 in the morning now when people tell me hey uh let's get together you're like okay when they're like uh first thing in the morning i'm like whoa, whoa, whoa back up my first thing in the morning is going to be a lot different than your first thing in the morning, right? You're talking about like 10, like the first thing you do when you get into the office. Mm -hmm. We're talking about like the first thing you do when you get up. Right. You know what I mean? It's just a different mindset. And the thing that I found out is the number one thing that that stuff teaches you is discipline, mm -hmm. right? And the older I have gotten, the more I understand that if you are disciplined, then you can essentially do whatever you want to do because people aren't willing to put in the work. People don't like failing. You know, and so you learn that through sports, in my opinion, in a, in a, and I won't say a low pressure environment because sports is not low pressure, you know, mm -hmm. at the time. But when you look at it as an adult, right, if I, if I throw an incomplete pass or this guy turns one around on me and hits it out, guess what? Like, I'm going to come back the next day. If you screw up on a deal or you mess up someone's loan or something like that, your family's not eating. Right. You know, so there's still stresses and pressures, but it's mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. You know, like, yeah, I have a bad outing or I go hit three balls in the woods. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. Like, my family's still eating. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you can wrap your head around that mindset that, hey, the most disciplined person is going to win right. over a long amount of time. You know, and that's what I try to do is, is how can you get better at this and just, you know, it's, it's like kind of like it's process driven. And that's one thing I think sports really teaches you is that it's, it's process driven, mm -hmm. right? And life is process driven. You know, if you can, if you can just get up earlier than everyone else consistently, you have more time to get stuff done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm a big advocate for that. Um, you know, get, everybody complains about not having enough time. Well, don't sleep 10 hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's lots of time. And the thing, too, like with the team sports, I totally agree. I believe that everybody should have to play a team sport. It teaches you to work with people and not only work with people, you learn how to work with different types of people. Yeah. Because when you grow up and you get out of that, you know, if you, even, you, know, if you get out of that and you go to a regular job, you're going to, you know, 95% of the jobs, you're working with other people and you're relying on, you know, these, you know, interpersonal skills to deal with these people, to talk to them, to figure out who, you know, how do I need to talk to this person, you know, to make this sale or to close this deal, you know, or how do I need to talk to this different person, you know, because not everybody's the same. Yeah. You have these different mentalities. Mm -hmm. People have gone through different experiences, you know, and it's those, those things that you learn, you know, when you're a kid and you're going through these team sports, just how to deal with that, you know, under the stress of, you know, a sport, you know. I would, I would take it to the next level, child, is this, I mean, you know, everybody says your your most important asset are your people, and I disagree with that. I I was changing up a little bit. The most important asset is the right people, right? Absolutely. I mean, can you imagine playing football or baseball and you get somebody who never pitched, 
that you can put them on the mound and all of a sudden you're playing and all of a sudden they can't do their job. And that's the whole thing with business too. You got to get the right people to do the job. And so, but you're, you're absolutely right. But I would add the right people who's going to be on your team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, God, everybody makes fun of the kicker, but the kicker is one hell of a, is, is it asset? You could argue is probably one of the most important people on the team. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look because at the fourth he, quarter of the NFL. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, it can make or break you. Yeah. Right. And, that's it. Well, and I think like when when you took like a, a team or a or a business or anything like that, it's especially it's the 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 case of the leader, right? Is you got to have a bunch of people with different skill sets, and if you have everyone with the same skill set, it's never going to work out. But it's that leader's or leader's job to figure out how do I make this person the best at whatever their little niche is, you know? Because mm-hmm. that's I mean, you know, you look back at like all the cliche sayings, you know, like they're so right. You know, you're only as strong as your weakest link and all, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. all this stuff. The stuff that we grew up hearing, you're like, ah, whatever. But then when you're actually having to put that stuff into play, you're like, oh, man, we better get that kicker squared away. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? And yeah. no one likes the kicker. So being a quarterback, I mean, there was a lot of pressure on you. Tell us about, you know, football leadership versus business leadership. I mean, is it similar or not? I think leadership is leadership, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, we look at... I mean, take 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 Chris Peterson for example, because everyone knows, mm-hmm. you know, about him around here. If you listen, and I've been lucky enough that I've had one-on-one meetings with him, and I've picked his brain and and stuff like that, and I've sat and talked with other people that run successful businesses, and you sit there and you're like, they're saying the same stuff. You know, the audience is a little bit different. Right. You know, dealing with 18, 22 year old kids or or grownups, but the message is the same, and that's the thing. When I started looking at Okay, how am I going to like keep improving myself just as a, as a man, as a husband, mm-hmm. as, you know, someone that's in business and stuff like that is you, st- you I think it's important to pull information from all these different people. But then what I started to realize was it's all the same. You know, you read a book on Steve Jobs and how he uh, prepares his presentations and then you go talk to a guy like Chris Peterson like, "Well, how do you run your team meetings?" Granted, he's not introducing an iPhone and Jobs isn't talking to 22-year-old kids, mm-hmm. but the mindset and the planning and what they're trying to get accomplished is the same. Mm-hmm. And I think the ability to communicate, and you're talking about a bunch of different people, the ability to communicate with a, def- a bunch of different people I think is huge. And it's no different if you're a quarterback. You're a quarterback from Spanaway, and you got to talk to your wide receivers that are from Compton, California, or mm-hmm. Seattle, or your offensive lineman that grew up in Modesto, California. You know, it's the same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you got to be able to be able to communicate effectively with a wide group of people. And I think that just gets um, exaggerated, I guess. In Can business. you give an example of how you communicate, though? I mean, you got Modesto, Compton, Alabama, yeah, you know, and and all that. I mean, it's. I mean, is it a mission? Hey, hey, look, guys, this is the mission. This is what we're trying to accomplish here. Because some people, and I know some, you know, I work, I, I go down to L.A. once a month and I work, uh, my clients are down there. And and they're a little different. And, mm-hmm. and people in New York are totally different. And, and, you know, can you give some example on how you would deliver that message? <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that you have to do is be confident in who you are. Mm-hmm. Right, because but not cocky. That's no, confident. Like this is who I am. This is my this is mm-hmm. my ethos. This is what I'm about. This right. is right because then I think that gives you a little bit of leeway. Right, if you are going to come down there and or go go down there, go anywhere, mm-hmm. and you're going to be mission oriented, people have to understand like that's you. 
Right. Right. It's not, hey, I'm not coming down here saying this because people above me are saying we got to do this. Like, this is what I'm about. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think when you're confident in who you are and not like I can get this job done or anything like that, but you know who you are, what you stand for. You know, you got to you got to have a really good grasp on who you are and what you're about. Mm-hmm. And I think people read that. I think people want to be around people that are comfortable in their own skin. You know, I think that's a that's a quality that I don't think a lot of people have. You know, they're trying to be something. I'll be something in this room and then I'll be something in that room. People pick up on that. Right. And so and I think that comes from lack of self-awareness, lack of just self-understanding, you know, and I don't think there's a certain thing that you can say when you go talk to this group of people you need to do. You need to talk to this group of people. This is how you need to act. Right. You have to know who you are and then that will permeate in your communication with that person. So I would have to say that that'd be the, the number one. So just be real and authentic and, and just, yeah. Like, and you have to know like what you're about, right? Because if I'm going to follow you, I want to know what you're about. Mm -hmm. You know, why am I going to follow you? You know what I mean? Because you can see through that stuff. I mean, we were talking earlier when we were talking about, uh, you know, like the business stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Like, thanks for paying for my, BMW or whatever, yeah, yeah. like that's not someone I'm gonna follow, right, you know. Right. And I think the, and this is one thing that I've always said in dealing with quarterbacks when I was like coaching quarterbacks. You have to be a guy that they want to play for, not with, mm-hmm. right? If I play with a guy, yeah, this if I don't do that, it'll it'll be all right. You know what I mean? We're we're equal, mm-hmm. right? But I want guys that play for me, that want to play for me. So come hell or high water, they're not letting me get hit, right? I mean, right. it's going to happen, whatever. But they yeah. put that's that high level of accountability for on them that they don't want anything to happen. I think it's the same thing for business. Yes, we're all working together, right? But if I'm the one directing the ship in a leadership position, the people that work, and I don't, the people that work under you, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't know, I don't know a better way to say that. The people that are your subordinates, or that yeah. they're, you know, they have to know that there has to be a feeling that I'm working for for you, and you're also working for me. I think it puts a higher level of accountability on everyone. Yeah, the, the, the leadership basically, I, I put it in the sense of, from what Chow and I have experienced is in the military is <clears throat> command versus demand leadership. You know, you yeah. command that that leadership, and people would say, okay, I, I trust this guy or that that girl that lady and and we're gonna we want to rally around the champion yeah. or you if you demand it goes i'm i'm your uh, boss i'm the vice president I'm, yeah i want you to respect me i don't think they're gonna i mean you that. never garnish the respect no. that way you no. know and that's like you know talking on that that was one of the biggest things that i learned in the army you know as being a leader you know was how you know my first thing when I, you know, became a leader, you know, it was like, okay, I'm in charge of three other dudes now. It's like, okay, well, how do I get these dudes, you know, to believe in me that way when I, you know, when I, you know, crack this door in and go in, they're going to be right behind me. You know, how do I do that? And that's one of those things. It's like, you know, it's not just, you know, leading from the front and showing them it's, you know, whatever you tell them to do that you're doing it with them. Yeah. You know, that's how you start building that. And it goes into that is, you know, when you start getting more people, it's, they want to see that you're working, you know, you're working with them, even though that they're working for you, you know, it's, um, they, you know, everybody gets the email like, oh, this is, this comes out from, 
you know, HQ and you got to get this done, you know, and it's like everybody dreads that email and it's something bad and it's like, all right, this is the way that we're going to do it. You know, I'm going to take the brunt of this. You guys can do these, you know, other taskings right here to get this stuff done, yeah. you know, and that shows them that you're working, you know, for them, even though that they're the ones that are, you know, mm-hmm. they're doing all the work for you. I, uh, it's a, and this is, it's a fine line, right? You got to be one of the, one of the guys. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't be one of the guys. Yeah. You know, I, I, I heard an interesting deal. Like, I, man, I love, I love YouTube and I love, you know, reading and just catching little snippets and stuff. And I saw a thing, uh, uh, a Kobe Bryant interview and, you know, I guess, and I mean, I don't know, I was never in the NBA, but apparently the thing is, you know, you go into a new town, new city, like guys go out drinking, hit, hit, hit up clubs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he, he's, he, a bunch of guys were kind of like, Hey man, let's go to the club, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, nah, man, I'm going to the gym. And they're like, Oh, well you never come out with us. You know? And he's like, all right. He's like, I'm going to go out to the club with you. He's like, but you're going to be up at 6 a.m. working, working out with me. Right. And so he did it. And I, I guess he went each one of their hotel rooms, you know, six in the morning to get him. So, I mean, they got to know, like, if you're in a leadership position, you got to be one of the guys. But they have to know you're just a little bit different. You're willing to go just a little bit further. You're right. a little bit mentally tough than them. You're a little bit more disciplined. They have to know that if you're the one, you know, setting the tempo that you're just a little bit little bit different right yeah and that was you know i always go back to the whole military thing for me because that's where I, all my leadership experience was from and that's like i i love running i would go out and run you're crazy you know like 10, <laughs> i'd go out and run like 10 miles and i would take my dudes on these runs and like yeah like it would hurt me but it's like not showing them that it hurts and always you know being the one that's setting the pace and it's being up front yeah you know even if i was hurting and if there was one dude who was staying up with me, and I could tell, because I always had one dude who could run, you know, and he'd keep up with me. And it's like, all right, I can't let him see that I'm hurting. I'm going to keep going. Yeah. You know, and just continuing to show people those kind of things, you know, and you go out and you, my biggest thing that I've always told other people is everybody goes through the same thing in life, just in different experiences. Everybody's gone through loss. Everybody's been hurt. Everybody has gone through, you know, all of these different things in life, but they're the same. You know, you went through, you've gone through loss in your life. I have too. Different experience with it, most likely. But we've still had, you know, we share that similar connection. And if you know that you have those connections with people, then you're able to find those things, you know, it helps you associate with each person because everybody's different. You know, and if you're able to have that one thing with each and every person that you're with, then they're more inclined to listen to you and do what you're saying. You know, because they feel like they have that bond with you. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of those things, too, is that's where you're building those relationships. You know, you're still leading, but they feel close to you. Yeah, so my question to you, Johnny, is like, okay, you've gone through a lot of things in your life, athletics and ups and downs, potentially becoming a professional athlete, health, um, scary things with your health. Um now you're a firefighter and you're in a mortgage business. So what, what's the next chapter for you, man? I mean, what, what, if you had the perfect world in the job, what would it be? And how would you go about The perfect it? job? Yeah. Man, you know, honestly, like, I'm at a point right now where, like, I'm really happy. You know, like, I really am. Um, there's a lot of, lot of good stuff happening. But I think, like, my, my biggest fear is getting complacent. Right. Like that is my ultimate 
fear. But that's in your DNA because you're an athlete, you're a competitor, right? I'm, I'm the same way. And I don't want to be, I want to be relevant. And yeah, I, I wanna, yeah, relevant. That's a yeah. good thing. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, I don't, I, the, the one thing like I want to start doing is in investing, mm-hmm. right? I want to start learning, learning that stuff. Um, so like real estate or stocks, real estate, like all of it, all because of it. Mm-hmm. you know, like no one really gets rich off their paycheck. No, they don't. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying like I want to, but you know, it's just, it's just another avenue to compete in. It's another avenue to learn about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I still got to learn mortgages and stuff like that's kind of like the immediate thing. But you know, when you go like, okay, five, 10 years down the road, what are we trying to, what are we trying to accomplish as, as a family? Right. You right. know, that kind of stuff. You know, my wife has some ideas. She wants to start up, you know, a business. And so it's like, okay, let's, let's learn about that. And let's learn, you know, how, how we can get your stuff going mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that. So I don't really, I, I don't really have like a goal of like the next thing. I mean, I didn't set out to get in the mortgage business. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just kind of happened where it was like, I knew some people and they were like, what do you think about this? And I don't know, like I read about it a little bit and I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go try that. Right. Um, I kind of just fall into things. I try not, I try to stay as busy as possible throughout mm-hmm. the day. Like that's really kind of like my focus is like, how do I maximize this day? Right. And then, you know, you're meeting people, you're making calls, you're talking to people. And then it's like opportunities just start presenting themselves. Yeah. You know, so I, I couldn't tell you in five years, who knows what I'll be doing. I think you the know? funny thing is, is like, I, I think um, you and I are almost the same page as child from being in the military. I, those of you who don't know, I, I spent 20 years in the, in the Air Force. I was active duty and I retired out of reserves. And I started my, when I was in reserves, I started my corporate banking career and finished my degree and all that. Ever since then, I'm always grinding. And my wife always tells me, it goes, nothing is ever good enough for you. I said, you know, but I think it's part of your background. Mm-hmm. Your background <clears throat> is athletics. My background is being an immigrant because we had to grind. When if we didn't yeah. grind, when we didn't work, we didn't, we didn't, we always were always hustling. I've had a job ever since I was 13 years old delivering mm-hmm. paper. And all you kids who want to deliver papers don't because it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's like farming because you can't get rid of it. You got to work seven days a week. Yeah. Okay, but I don't think they get the papers anymore. It's all electronic now, anyway. But I think um, I think I think uh, what you're saying is the same thing that I I tell my son is that life and family and and business is a full contact sport. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to participate. The family has to participate. If your wife wants to start a business, you're going to be involved in it. Yeah. Your kid's going to be involved in yeah. it. Yeah. And you have to wake up every morning with a purpose and a mission. Yeah. Right. Military. What's your mission? What's the purpose of this thing? And I think if you, and I think you why. When you're doing that, I'm doing that, but in a different way. Uh, and I, I agree with you. There's going to be in life. You have to that paycheck. is not going to make you wealthy. No. You got to have. You got to figure out what. How do you? It's called wealth accumulation, right? Yeah. You're not going to get really wealthy by buying a car that yeah. seventy thousand dollars and it's worth yeah. twenty three hundred dollars five years later. Yeah. That's a shitty investment. Yeah. Oh, I swore. I couldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but but you're absolutely right. I mean, you can probably add to that too, child. Being you know background. With, you know, you love golfing and, and all that. I mean, it's practice. You got to practice on that. Yeah. You know, well, it's like we talked about before and, you know, that's where I met Johnny was at the golf course. And it's like, you find something that you love and that you want to do, but you're not going to make money off of it. Yeah. You know, like having that just one check, you know, cause none of us are, we're not pro athletes, you know, we're not getting paid millions of dollars to do stuff, you know, having that one job, 
you know, and support a family, like you're not getting rich. You know, that's enough to, you know, hopefully it's enough to support you, but you know, that's it. And it's like with you, like you found something else, you know, you coached, you know, you know, in the football program for years, you know, cause it was something that you love and it was another side, you know, side money that's coming in, you know, and that's where you're able to start doing different things and learning different stuff. And then you meet people, you know, yeah. and it's like, especially in golf, you meet people from all walks of life, you know, like, I mean, we've played with so many different people from dude to started their own, you know, like Scott, who, you know, run, he's, a, you know, he's an accountant who yeah. manages, you know, millions of dollars, you know, and then there's, uh, you know, two of the other guys that we play with who own many malls. Yeah. You know, I mean, you meet so many different people and just, I mean, it's the same thing for everybody. Everybody's finding that mm-hmm. one extra thing, you know. But I think it goes back to what you're saying, Johnny. I said you gotta know who you are, what's your, what you stand for, right? Yeah. And you probably have friends who are in the NFL, right? Yeah. And making. I did. Now we're all. Now, now they're all retired. <laughs> and they made a lot of money, right? Yeah. And you were probably felt, oh my god, I, look at me. You probably were. I don't know. I'm just assuming that you were kind of like, well, what the hell happened to me? Yeah, uh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like you went into this funk and go. I mean, it could have been me if I would have pushed harder. Yeah. If I would have played yep. harder. Yeah. Uh, you know. I mean, I kind of been like toying around with this, this little kind of internal mantra, right? That's, and I'm I'm still like tweaking it, so don't judge me on this (laughs) right now. But it's like the the world's the world is gray. But to be successful, you have to find your black and white. Right. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. there's certain things that you have to be about that are just non-negotiable to be successful. You know, and you have to find that whatever it is you know for you mm-hmm. but i don't know it's it's very interesting as you get older you start to understand things differently you look at things differently you start to understand patterns of successful people you start to understand patterns that have worked for you you know like when i was in high school i was extremely disciplined and i was like i would go throw at like six in the morning i would drive down to olympia to go work out and then i would come back and buck hay for like seven hours you know what i mean mm-hmm. and then you get to college you got a little bit more freedom you know you're 21 you're in seattle you're in seattle now it's like oh yeah. man i can be here on monday night and here tuesday night and, here, and then it starts to mm-hmm. you know and then you know you get past that and then you kind of look back you're like well like i got away from the stuff that make you successful and i think as you start to get older you start to understand these different patterns in your life and you're like well when i because everyone's different right like you know some people op- can operate at a high level doing that i couldn't so you start to understand like okay for me to be successful whatever i'm going to do i got to get back to what i was doing when i was most successful yeah. you know and it's the it goes back to that whole process thing and exponential growth you know you yeah. can do one thing i don't know say I mean, take working out, for example. Take take golf, for example, right? When you first start playing, you're into it. You're practicing all the time. You're improving a lot. You get to a certain point where you're like, I'm pretty good. So now practice isn't as important. The next thing you start to drop off, and you're like, well, what the hell, man? Like, I just got work. Well, because you're not putting in the same amount of work. Right. You know what I mean? And it's really easy. There's a good book that probably set me off on, like, this whole, like, because I wasn't a reader, right? I, went, I, w- I wasn't a reader. Like, I was not, not into it. You know, yeah. I, I was the guy that cheated his way through college. Right, <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. But Chris Peterson gave me this book called The Slight Edge. And I, I, I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm interested in doing these things. He's like, if you're interested in this, you need to read this book. 
I was in his office and he's got like a, a bookcase of like 30 of these books. So I'm like, he must take this book very seriously <laughs> and, and, and hands this thing out. So he, he, right. he gave it to me. It's called The Slight Edge. And I read it. And I read it in about four or five days. And basically, the book outlines exponential growth. Mm-hmm. And it explains the importance of it. And I'm like, so you're telling me, right? in my mind, I'm like, so you're telling me that if I just kind of do this stuff, you know, and take take reading reading books, for example, this book outlines like, you know, average book is what, 300 pages? Mm-hmm. You read 10 pages a night, that's a book a month. How much smarter would you be if you read 12 books a month? And I'm like, 12 books a month, dude? I don't think I read 12 books. In my lifetime. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I if it you. wasn't on like yeah. football or something, you know, I never, so yeah. I started doing that and you know, I listen to books in my car now. I've probably, I think that was two years ago. I mean, and I, you know, you got to give yourself some leeway when you're trying to be super disciplined, right? Right, right, right. Man, I haven't read a book for three days, so I guess I guess this is over. So <laughs> now just jump back on the wagon, you know, right. and start getting on it. But I mean, I've probably somewhere around 40 or 50 books in the last two years oh, between listening to them and reading. And I'll tell you what, uh, like I just, this is, this is personal now. I just got done reading the five love languages. Okay. I can guarantee that I would not be reading that book <laughs> if uh, it wasn't for this kind of deal. Yeah, I read uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Vegas or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, just like self-improvement, you know, you're talking about like the running stuff. Like if you can find different ways to make yourself uncomfortable and out, out exceed kind of what you felt was possible that's that's when growth happens yeah that's that's amazing though because you're you're after as you get older you 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 become the try to become a student of life you know you, <laughs> you, you look because winners leave clues right yeah cool and so like you pick up one. on these clues these, these winners you know and uh i i just love um you know just i i call it street credit too you know you kind of you kind of watch people and you and you build off of it. I'm not an academic guy. I know you're probably saying stuff, oh, you're Asian. You should be really smart. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> By all the people out there, I'm Asian, right? I, I should know math, but I don't know math. <laughs> but, but I like to have fun. I like to be around people who are, are trying to better themselves and, and all that. But reading has never been my thing. Uh, I, I, uh, when I was in the military, they diagnosed me with a mild dyslexia because I just can't read very and retain things. Mm-hmm. And as an example, you go across the Tacoma Narrow Spray when it's windy and it's this sign that says uh, severe side winds. When I see it, it says several side winds. And my wife goes, did you just say several? It's probably not wrong. Either. <laughs> probably a lot of probably a lot of wind. Yeah, there's a lot of winds out there. <laughs> uh, but you, but you know, I'm more tactile. I mean, mm-hmm. I can I can feel and do things. But um, but yeah, you, as you get older, you become you know uh, just uh, more student of life and, and watching people and learning from their mistakes. And and then then you realize that people like to rally around champions. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you know what your six three four five whatever and yeah you know built like a god and you got this chubby asian guy you know they'd rather follow you than me right <laughs> not if you can put money in their pocket right you know and, and talking about money you know i mean i i love uh, i love laughing and having fun but i am also believing in the realities and uh, of life is that you know i i believe that 
10, 20% is your knowledge of what you're trying to do, but everything else is about your personality and how you get along with people. Yeah, you know? and your perseverance, you know, yes. because you're gonna you're gonna fail. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, talking about reading, like there's another good book out there called Grit, you know, mm-hmm. and you read that and you're just like, man, like how many people, and this is one of the things I think about now, like when in playing, it's like, well, what would have happened if I would have just played for another another month right. or another year? Or, you know what I mean? And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you always quit right before you're about to catch your break. You know, I always, and you quit and you never know, but you're, in your mind, you're like, six more months, you know? And then you look back, like, when I was playing baseball, it was, you know, you're down there, it's 90 degrees and you're playing baseball for a living, you know? And I've never been around more negative people, <laughs> you know? And I was it too, you know, you're 23, like, man, this sucks. I'm going to go get a job. You know, and then I look back now, I'm like, God, dang, man, you guys were so stupid, mm-hmm. you know, and I think, you know, being a father has a lot to do with it because you want to make sure, you know, my daughters are five and two, mm. so they're young, but already like, how do you impart this stuff? You know, because I think, you know, parenting is teaching, you know, so like my daughter's hard as hell. Oh, it's so hard. You know, <laughs> like my daughter, she's playing, she's five, right? She's playing basketball at the Y. And so mm-hmm. we got to do this whole thing. Like, Hey, you got to be a good teammate. You got to be unselfish. You know, you got to pass the ball. I was like, and you got to play defense. So she had her first game. And I'm like, hey, you know, good job. You, you know, you passed it and you got some rebounds. And she's like, I know, Dad, but I love to score. <laughs> and you're like, all right, I understand that. But, you know, there's other things that go into it. So, yeah, yeah. You know. That's, she's a competitor. You know, she wants to score. Yeah. That's awesome. Find other ways to contribute. <laughs> Right. And I mean, that's probably the same thing, you know, in life too. the team sport mm-hmm. life. Hey, you can't always score. Yeah. You know, you're married. You can't always be right. Rarely are you. right. <laughs> so how what other ways can you contribute? Right. You know, yeah. It, it, yeah. Marriage, raising the child. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's what a n- nobody have given me a uh, manual for this one. No, not not the child thing. No. So, no. but I don't know. Well, it's like speaking on the book thing. So there's a great book that I read recently, and it's called it's uh, it's about David Goggins. And I'm Can't like, hurt me. Yeah, you know. And I don't know if you I, have you have you read oh, it. Oh, I read it. Yeah, See, he just makes me feel worse about my life. <laughs> but you know, that book is like the epitome of you know, failing, but then continuing on. You know, find you know, just because you fail doesn't mean that you stop. You know, yeah. like, and that's that's a lot of people's biggest issues is they want to be successful the first time around. You know, if and if it's not right for them, then they're done. You know, it doesn't matter. You know, whatever it is, and so you get those people who just stop. You know, and I think that's what breeds you know leadership. That's what you know. That's where leaders come from. It's the people that they fail, but then they continue on. Mm-hmm. And they're able to keep going. You know, because nobody's perfect. Like you didn't just walk through life and completely succeed in everything that you did. You know, and I didn't either. Nobody has, you know, and it's like learning from those failures and continuing on, you know, that's where you learn stuff. And then it's, it's the same thing as parenting, you know, like you're, you're trying to te- keep, uh, teach your kids these things, you know, and it's like they're not doing it and they get all frustrated, you know, and my daughter's the same way. It's like I'm trying to teach her something and then she can't do it and she just wants to stop. You yeah. Know? And she gets all upset and it's like, no, you know, like you can't do that. You know, and it's like you teach them from an early age. 
you know, and that's where, you know, that competitive spirit starts coming in too. And then, you know, just the, the drive, you know, and a lot of people, they have those things and it's like, they're not using it though. You know, they're just, they're, they're okay with just following somebody and they're okay with just doing, you know, they're nine to five and that's it. But that's okay too, you know, I mean, at least like we're going back to what Johnny was saying, it's just like, you got to know who you are, you know, you could lead, follow, and get out of the way. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think you, you know, Chow and Johnny, I mean, you're leaders, you know, but, you know, it's going to be a time in your life where, we're, okay, now, you know, finishing school or whatever you're going to finish, you're going to, they're going to come to you and say, okay, I'm going to follow you. And, and, and being in that position is tough. I mean, you know, I, 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 I was always a follower. I mean, I, I wanted to lead and nobody ever listened to me. So now I'm, I'm getting to a point where it must be my gray hair or whatever. And people are listening to me and I'm on a board of directors and we, uh, of this finance company, uh, been around for over 30 years and the CEO reports to us. And, mm-hmm. and I, I'm saying to myself, how the hell did I get myself in this position? You know, because they recruited me, then we're saying things and they're like, okay, good idea. And they're taking it down and they're writing it and they're executing it. And because... I think all of us, you know, in our career, it's going to be more of the, the more of the tactical work versus the strategic work. The strategic work is where the owners of football teams and all that, those are strategic guys, you know, and uh, the tactical are the players, right? They have to execute it and win it. But in the business world, the real work is done in the boardroom. And I finally realized that, I mean, I volunteered for board, but, it, but not. Yeah, this level. I was just like, wow. It's like, am I? Have I arrived? <laughs> well, I, I mean, like, think about when when you say that. I think like, well, if you were always a follower, how much did you learn though? That's a good point. You, you know I what did, I mean? I learned like, you learn so much. <laughs> so when you do, because you gotta be, if you're gonna be a good leader, you gotta be able to be a good follower. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, no question. But I mean, how much did you learn watching all these other people Mistakes. you work for? Like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean. I'll be honest, like I spent my whole football, college football career playing and coaching, looking at guys that were my bosses going, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be like you, mm-hmm. you know? So you, I think you learn a lot. I mean, it, you just, if you, if you just grasp the concept of like, Hey, I'm just going to learn as much as I can all the time. Right. And then when that opportunity hits, then you know, like, okay, like I'm not going to be like this guy. I'm not going to be like that. But at some point, you got to throw your hat in the ring and you actually got to do it. Right. You know what right. I mean? But see, that's still leadership driven. You know, that, that kind of following is still leadership driven because you, you're not just, you know, the mundane follower who's like, opens up his email in the morning. It's like, all right, this is stuff that, you know, boss said to do and you're doing it. You're like actively learning from the people around you. Yeah. You know, and that's still, you know, that's like one of the traits of being a leader, you know, is learning from the others and, and applying it. You know, not just like, oh, okay, well, he said do this, you know, but I just watched that guy do it and he didn't do, you know, he did this and it wasn't right. Yeah. You know, it's like you learn from the others around you, you know, yeah. even while you were following, you know, and that's one of those things, especially, you know, like for you in the mortgage industry right now is learning from the others and applying it, you know, and having that. Cause I mean, I feel like that is, you know, it's gotta be one of the most like, social driven things that you can do because you I mean you're working with people face to face about mass amounts of money mm-hmm. you know and their biggest when, investment yeah you know yeah. and that kind of stuff is life changing for people and so you you know they're all in it you know they're 100% in it and they're trusting you and so you have to have such a strong bond you know with those people 
and to continue to do those things day in and day out. Yeah, and, and that it goes back to, you know, the relationship that we talked about, you know. I mean, Johnny has a great disposition when I first met him at the door, and it was just like, wow, he really has got it. He, he's easy to talk to. He's, he's got this presence, but it's not cocky, but it, it's a very comforting mm -hmm. presence. And so your disposition is great for this industry because, you know, people look at you and go, oh, my God, I can, he can talk to me, and I can, he's, you know, he can relay the message really well. And one thing I learned from the leadership standpoint uh, I've learned from one of my old chiefs, Chief Bass, you know, when he said to me, he said, hey, look, the best thing you can do is empower your people mm -hmm. and respect them for what they do. So that's why, you know, uh, you know, Chow's in charge of this. I mean, I yeah. just let, he, let him be in charge of this. And if he needs help, I'll send emails or whatever. He's, because I want him to take credit for all this. Yeah. It's not me. It's him developing this. So, and he's done a phenomenal job, you know, so. There, I think, like, in... in effective leadership i think you reach a point and some people have a hard time and i've never had to experience this because i've never been in a successful leadership role <laughs> but you see people that when they get to leadership roles it's usually because uh i mean let's take let's take football for example because i can speak on it most clearly you know you take an offensive coordinator who's always been kind of like this brilliant offensive mind well the brilliant offensive mind doesn't necessarily translate into being a successful head coach, right? Mm -hmm. The skill sets are different. So, you know, if when you ascend to that head head coach role, your job description has changed. So now I'm not judged anymore on whether I'm a great offensive mind anymore. I'm more judged on the staff that I build, mm -hmm. the culture that I build, the players that I bring in. And for some people, and especially in football, from what you can see, is like people have a hard time letting go of what made them so great to learn what's going to make them great, greater, longer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, like, yeah, I may be a great tactician, but my job no longer requires me to be a great tactician. So you don't have no desire to get back into the coaching field, uh, like become a Division One coach again or anything like that? <sighs> no. I mean, you never say never. Right. Right. But, you know, it's an extremely um, time-consuming profession, and it should be. Like, they pay you a lot of money. You're mm -hmm. going to impact a ton of people, so there's a certain amount of work that goes with that. Right. I think right now I'm in a position where uh, I love what I'm doing, right? I can still dabble in some football stuff. Um, but, you know, the thing that's really important to me right now is, you know, I want to I be a good dad. Right. You know? Um, you know, you read your kids a book at night and you're like, man, if I was working 18, 20 hour days, yeah. this, this stuff wouldn't yeah. happen. You know, I took my right. daughter skiing. Well, you know, it, it was January. If I'm a division one football coach, you're out recruiting. Right. You know, so there's certain things you get. Now there's certain things you, you gain as well. Like I have a lot of friends that are still coaching and they're, and they're successful coaches and they mm -hmm. love it, but it just, it changes your family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be willing to change your family dynamic. Right. You know, cause I don't. I don't believe in work-life balance, mm -hmm. you know, I do not. And, you know, you tell people that and they're like, oh my God, I'm like, why can't it just all be integrated? You know, I can be on a family vacation closing on a loan. Right. You know, why does it have to be, you know, I work these hours and then these hours are with my family. <clears throat> I yeah. think you do have to be intentional with what you're doing, right? Like if, you know, we're going on a family vacation, unless it's super important, you know, and, and time sensitive, then yeah, you can push it off. But the more, I think the more stuff that you can do together, you know, yeah. I want to play golf. Well, guess what? My daughter's golfing too. 
and she's yeah, golfing. That's a good you know, way of looking at it. We're all golfing yeah. together, and guess what? I'm closing on a loan, and my wife's selling a house, and we're all there together. Like, yeah, I, that, yeah, that's, you know, a good, that's a good point because a lot of times, I think it might be the old mentality. It's like, mm-hmm. like it, you had your nine to five, yeah. and then your five to nine, you were this other person. Yeah, you know, and I think that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing. You know, yeah. you. you a lot of people, it was, oh, I'm, you know, I'm clocking out and I'm going to turn off that light switch and I'm yeah. going to go home and be a different person. Yeah. You know, you should be the same person nine to five that you are five to nine. Yeah, because I, I think your profession is like an extension of you, right? Absolutely. And, and, I, and, and I, I've never heard that before. And you're, I think you're the first one that never says, I don't want to look, uh, work life balance. I want it all together. Yeah. And I think it's a good way because I think technology allows us to do that. Yeah. You know? Uh, I was on my honeymoon. My wife closed on her first house. We were in Vegas. I'm like, you just made money? We're sitting here by the pool? I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> you know? Now, I mean, there's work that goes up to that, you right. know, where you can't. But, I mean, you're just like, this is this yeah. is great. And I think, you know, I mean, technology, social media, all that stuff kind of can get a bad mm-hmm. name and everything. But I think everything needs to be in moderation. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, yeah. including moderation. Sometimes yeah. you can't afford to be yeah. operating in that moderation. I Sometimes agree. you got to hit it. You got to hit it when you got to hit it. And then, you know, when it's time to, to chill and relax then you got to do that. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that because I, I just reminded me when I um, I was I closed the business deal, but I, I took off home early because it was the rain was going to come and I wanted to mow the yeah. lawn. Yeah. I home and I, just, I go, what the, oh, I got to take this. It's L.A. Yeah. I turned off the mower and closed the deal. I was like, I just closed the deal. Now yeah. I'm going back to mowing my lawn. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I, you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the things like success and, and money and stuff that give you, it's freedom it's not so much that you can go buy you know a new car every year and you got mm-hmm. a boat and you got the it's it allows you the freedom to be present mm-hmm. you know and that and that's kind of like my goal right and for me is i want to i want to be in a point where i can do everything that i want to do throughout a day go work out go play golf be with my wife see my girls work you know because you know once you start to understand it like and you'll you can t- making money is fun oh it's like it's, a it's I mean, I like to golf, but I'd rather make money than golf. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And so, how do you how do you accomplish all of these things in a day? Mm-hmm. You know, right. and that's that's kind of like my thing. And you know, you, and you can set it out right, like your daily calendar, and these are the things you got to do. Whatever. I mean, that's cool. Organization is important, mm-hmm. but how are you actually going to do it? It's actually like putting the Instagram away yeah. and going to go do it. You know what I mean? And it's hard. I mean, there's so much golf stuff on Instagram. I'll get lost in for 30 minutes watching, <laughs> watching golf. I like, and I get it. It's difficult, but then it comes back to discipline. Yeah. So I know we're a little bit over an hour, Chow. So I guess let's, let's try to end this. And so what's um, from everybody, what's one nugget, one takeaway nugget out of this whole conversation? Go ahead, Chow. Or do you want me to go? Go ahead. Okay. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this. Uh, and, and Johnny can relate to this. So one, one nugget to take away today out of this conversation is clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> Does everybody get that? Maybe Chow can explain that. But <laughs> from Friday Night Lights. Lights. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I love that quote. So I think the, what Johnny just talked about was the, you know, the work-life balance. I think that's... You know, like what you said, Tom, I'd never heard anybody say that before, mm-hmm. you know, being able to do it all together. You know, I think that was, you know, that's a big thing. And, you know, being able to manage that, you know, if people can find that and do that, you know, it just, it opens you up to so much more stuff. Yeah. Oh, my turn. I would say uh, be obsessed with self-improvement. Like really just, 
attack it. I have, I have a friend who's a very good friend of mine, and he always says, never apologize for attacking. He's a football coach. He said, never apologize for attacking. And at, and at first it was always funny, like, oh, my God, that's so you, you know. Yeah. But then that's that's what it is, man. Like, go. Just go. Mm-hmm. Don't think about, you know, don't don't build a plan for the – just go. Just go. You're going to learn more from doing it and being active and failing than you are from coming up with a really great strategic plan. That's right. Don't apologize for attacking. Never. Yeah. Never. 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 Hashtag – what does he do? Hashtag NA4A. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for being no, here. No, thank you, yeah, guys. This was fun. Coming out. This is really fun. So, All right, that concludes our interview with Johnny DeRocher. We hope you guys were able to get something out of that and enjoy some of the stories that he had about his life and the struggles that he's been through and the highs that he's also had as well. So if you want to stay tuned and listen to the rest of our talk that we had prior to starting this conversation, uh, stay tuned and listen to Johnny talk about some golf stories and some of the other things that he's been doing this summer and some of the plans that he has continuing on into the future. All right, thanks everybody. This a guy who writes for Golf Digest. I think he still might be doing it. And um, till we go out, beautiful. I mean, just in awe. I just like I just love how beautiful golf swings are. I'm a real golfer. It's not like you drive by a park, you know. Oh, and yeah, yeah, these, yeah. These guys in jeans, rock that, you know, <laughs> and it's just like. Duh, 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 duh. Well, anyway, so. He's tolerating me, right? So we go in the back nine and we I hit. Then finally he went like this. He puts his feet up on the cart. He goes, God, you know, Tom, you hit more wood than a woodpecker. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I'm paying for this, right? Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, as long as it bounces out. Yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> so we're good. But it's so frustrating. I don't know how you guys can do it because um, what I'm finding out, finding out now. In do you still play? No. But he's, well, that, go, he's going to because going he to. extended an invite for me yeah. to go out and call him a bunch of clubs. Oh, are you a member there? Yeah, I'm a social member. I have, I, I get two free golf things a year. That is my goal. By really? June, by June 1st, I want to be a member there. You should. See, I called out there because remember, I used to work at Brookdale. And when they were closing down, I called out there. I was like, hey, like, I'm not going to work at a course anymore. I just want to get a good membership to where I'm not having to worry about thousands of people coming out. That lady that I talked to was so rude. <laughs> she, when I was like, because I asked, I was like, because they don't have the prices on there. Yeah. But they created like a new membership if you were like 20 to mm-hmm. sub 40. 41. Yeah. 41. They had created that new membership. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's where our highest category of people are right now. So we're extending the numbers. And I was like, okay, well, what's the price? And she was like, oh, you know, it's like, Three eighty-seven a month plus your, you know, your uh, food, food, your food yeah. and beverage, and that it's you the amortized. Yeah. Oh, I've looked into it. Yeah, I go out there a f- couple times a month, probably okay. with the guys that I know. Okay, because they're trying to get me on. You should out yeah. there. Oh, I'm doing it. Yeah. So I started doing mortgages. Mm-hmm. My wife's a realtor, and she doesn't care about any of the stuff I do. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, here's the deal. Like, I want to join Tacoma, you know. And she's like, well, you better do some more. Mm-hmm. Better do some more loans because you, you know, it's not dipping in the fire money. I'm like, yeah, because basically I was I've been a member for over 15 years, 20 almost 20 years. But we got married in, out there in 1995, mm-hmm. where at the time before they had the pool and all that, we had a bunch of old white men hang out, you know. And mm-hmm. I, then my father-in-law said, "Hey, why don't you join a country club?" I said, "I, I, I, golf. I hate golf." 
you know, but I tolerate it. I guess I have to do it. How do you hate golf with access to that place? That's what I'm saying. I, I, I golfed out there a couple of times, just but oh. but all these years I've golfed there once or twice through through a tournament. But um, when my son was little, the pool was the reason yeah. why we were going. Oh, I've had to use that pool as a selling point for my wife oh, and my kids. It's too. huge. <laughs> it's, it's great to have dinners down there during the summer mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. But 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 we live on the gravelly lakeside now, and my son still wants to go over there. I said, look, you have a damn lake here. Why are you going to go over there? <laughs> and I know why. Because, you know, he's in high school, and he's lifting weights. Oh, yeah. And he oh, wants, yeah. And he, yeah. Wants, he wants them, the girls to be to see him and all his buddies, you know. And I'm just like, whatever, dude. Whatever. I love that place. Oh, my God. The food's good. The food is good. Mm-hmm. See, I haven't been out there, but I'm pumped because uh, we're putting our daughter in Life Christian Academy, and they hold a golf tournament out there once a year as a fundraiser. <laughs> oh, really? And so I'm going to play in it this year. They well, do it in, like, September every year. Well, get some get some nice shoes and pants on and a collar shoe. I'll take you guys out to lunch out there. Oh, man, I... I love that place. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll go out there. And have so fun. I was out there two or three weeks ago. Me and my wife and I were there with another couple, and it was on a Saturday, and they had a big event going on mm-hmm. in the other deal, whatever. So I found a, and I've kind of known this a little bit because I've been talking to people, but I got the membership packet. So I'm like, here it is. You do it. Lay it out. Do it. It's it's not that bad. No. It's not. If you, I mean, if you consider. You know, versus other places, and you play, you know, you just got to use it. That's well, if you like, if you play golf, which I know you do, but if you play golf, like it's so worth it, dude. Yeah. So it's three seventy five a month. So it's a five thousand dollar initiation fee. But that's over the span of yeah. So you got to put a thousand dollars down. Yeah. And then they amortize amortize the other four grand until you turn forty one. Yeah. So and I worked it all out. I think for us it'd be just under five hundred bucks a month. Yeah. You know. But it's still cheap, but you golf over it a lot. If you, well, yeah. And yeah. then you throw in the convenience of the golf. Where, mm-hmm. I mean, you go play at Spanaway, you know, well, right now, they're playing on three temps. You don't play on temps at the club. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, guys, a lot of the people out there are working throughout the day, so they want to go get two and a half, three-hour rounds in. So, mm-hmm. like, you're scooting around there. There's no tee time. Unlimited balls. They got the covered heating range. You know, my only thing is I, live, I wish we lived closer. See, that's the but, thing. Because Joe at the class that hooked me up with the industry rate for my monthly membership there, unlimited range balls, unlimited golf. Where do you live? Days a week. You live? I live out towards Spanaway. That's right. I, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's a nine minute drive for me to get to the classic, and I pay yeah. eighty two dollars a month. Yeah, that's, I mean, granted, the range isn't amazing, yeah. but I get unlimited balls. You know, like I'll go in there like on a Monday, and they'll give me like twenty tokens. And I'll use that for, you know, till Friday. Well, and at Tacoma, you've been out there before, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, they got like a hundred yard. I know that they have an amazing short game area. Yeah, so we're but the, the, practic- the practice thing. Yeah, they right? have the yeah. practice green where they got like yeah. perfectly manicured bunkers yeah. Yeah. and everything. Nice. But then, so then you got the driving range, then the first hole. But then over more to the left, dude, it's like a hundred yards and it's just, Huge, perfectly manicured grass with a green. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's nice. You work on that. I mean, where else can you hit hundred yard shots to a green off grass? Yeah, and basically you just drive up there and you just take your clubs out and work. Nobody will bother you. You know, you just yeah. You. Do you know Brian Haynes? Mm-mm. Okay. Is he up there? Yeah, he he lives out there. Josh Dunn. He lives so there. the guys that I hang out with there is like Trace, Kirkbo, Paul Battle, Travis Teeple. 
They're, those they're, those guys just play tons of golf. Okay, I I don't know, but the reason why I ask is, is because if you guys are looking because the member guest invitationals always once a year. Oh yeah. I don't know if you've ever been part of that team. No, but it, but my goal is to be a member this year. Yeah, because so basically <laughs> I'll be the M of the member guest. Yeah, so basically see, I'll be your G. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that's a big thing because they, they, they play against Furcrest and Cannonwood and all that kind of whatever they do. But I, they get really get into it. So I kind of go out there and grab my beer and watch my Oh, it's crazy. like a two-day. Yeah, it's a two-day It's thing. a two-day event. And that's big. And I know Brian, he's the owner of uh, Rainier Connect and Click, the okay. ut- uh, utilities We have company. Rainier Connect. Yeah, that, that, that's his company. It's probably shitty, right? <laughs> no, no, we live in Eatonville. So oh, that's why. That's all we can get. Yeah, yeah. So he's the owner of that. So he's a good buddy of mine. I live right down the street from him. And uh, uh, he's, he's a, he loves to golf and he loves to win. So if you guys were real good, I'll introduce you to him. Yeah, it's, he wants to win. <laughs> I love that place, man. I've gotten so much better because that's, you know, that's where all the pro guys yeah. are members. And that's, I mean, that's why it's... Because I, I know the range is double-sided, isn't it? No. It's not double-sided? I thought somebody told me that it was double-sided. Really? That way, like, the pro dudes, when they're out there, that they can go to one side of the range and not be bothered by... No, they just built that covered spot yeah. less than a, about a year or two ago. What do you mean double-sided? A like, lot of, from each side? Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of, like, the big ranges for places where a lot they have a lot of, you know, PGA Tour guys, they're double-sided that way. You know, your normal dudes are over here, and then they can go over there and practice and not be bothered. Yeah, well, that's one of the cool things about I like being out there is because you'll be hitting right next to those guys. And the guys out there are the nicest, most unselfish, the pros. Now, I ran into some guys that are members there that are oh, yeah. assholes. assholes. Oh, yeah. Assholes. But those pros, and I, I went and played in a couple in a tournament with a couple of them. Uh, this, uh, well, I told you about that, Bud. That Budweiser tournament I went in West Richland. Yeah. yeah. So this tournament, it's like one of the biggest pro-ams mm-hmm. in the state because they pay out so much money. So these guys that are just kind of in town or whatever, they'll come play. I think it's like 15 grand. Yeah. But the course is an absolute goat track. Like <laughs> the first day we were there, it smelled <laughs> like... Like I was on a farm, right? Like it was hay and everything in the court. It's just beat to shit. It's brown, but the greens are great, and it it's colder and shit, and it was windy. But all these kind of mid level pros come and play in it, so there's great golf. I mean, guys are shooting like sixty two and mm. stuff like that. So I stayed with Putnam, mm-hmm. and uh, like, and there's two other pros that were staying in our house, and they were like. The coolest dude, and they, of course they talk golf all the time. So for me, it's just like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm just how, how you doing this? Baby. Okay, how do you do this? And they're like, oh man, da, 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 da. and then you find out they're just. So you think you might go pro? Me? Yeah. No.